You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast, and you're about to get a crash course in diet culture, a lesson in fat phobia 101 mixed with a little intuitive eating 101, and a pep talk for burning the damn wagon. So like, really, get ready. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. This episode is enthusiastically sponsored by a product that couldn't possibly float my boat more, Four Sigmatic. My boat is so floated by Four Sigmatic's mushroom drinks that any more floating would turn my boat into an airplane because it's flying. Okay, so the first time I tried a packet of Four Sigmatic mushroom tea and a glass of hot water, I was muy skeptical because of this whole mushroom thing being really trendy right now and I'm always reluctant to hop on trend trains. Wow, we're really covering all the modes of transportation here. But I drank those shrooms and I felt truly awesome. It's hard to explain. I just felt way more awesome than I felt before I drank it. Since then, I consistently consume at least one type of shrooms a day, and it helps me know it's going to be bright, 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 sunshiny day, even when it's rainy and gray, because I am telling you these mushrooms are magic. Although they don't make me hallucinate in a bathtub like my ex-boyfriend's famous magic mushroom experience, which in hindsight, he seemed way too proud of. But nobody's hallucinating the magical effects of these shrooms, okay? They are ultra-scientifically proven to boost immunity and gut health. Yes, please and thank you. And the four different shrooms that Four Sigmatic uses most, hence the four in Four Sigmatic, wink, wink, they all do different epic things for your body. Reishi helps you relax. Cordyceps give you a non-caffeinated energy for sports and stuff. Lion's mane, which does not come from a lion's mane, boosts your brain. And chaga is a mega charge for your immune system. I weave all four of those separate mushrooms into my life by way of the teas. That's what I'm talking about here, people, are mushroom teas that you dissolve in a packet of hot water and haya. But I also fancy myself some of their fancier shroom concoctions. They have this relaxing, thanks to the reishi hot cocoa that I pretty much make every night with almond milk. They have matcha powder, which is the only matcha I now use. They have these magic mushroom chai latte packets that you can add to water or almond milk for a hot or iced sweetest sippable treat. And I have to say, even though I don't drink coffee, Four Sigmatic is kind of famous for their multiple kinds of organic, much better for you coffee, even mocha mixes. So you can mocha chocolate. Okay, enough from me. I'm sorry. I just finished a mushroom matcha latte and I'm flying high. But because you listen to this podcast, thanks so much for doing that, by the way, you can save 15% off any and all Four Sigmatic shroomy stuff you'll want to buy off of their site, foursigmatic.com, using code PARTYINMYPLANTS. Or you can just go to Four Sigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash PARTYINMYPLANTS to automatically save that 15%, baby. Oh, by the way, Did I mention that I don't even really like eating mushrooms? Yeah, but now, thanks to Four Sigmatic, my body doesn't need to have shroom FOMO. Okay, again, hit up foursigmatic.com slash partyinmyplants to save 15% on this mega boat floating stuff that I always find stuffed into my pockets, purses, luggage, or my bra because I just can't get enough. 
I'm hard at work editing the manuscript for my book due super soon, so I'm re-airing one of the most impactful episodes yet for the Party My Plans podcast. I believe that Eating Disorder Awareness Week was last week or the week before, although, come on, isn't really every week Eating Disorder Awareness Week in this day and age? But this episode is the perfect way to be aware of eating disorders and binge eating, and if you're just generally feeling too cray-cray around food. So my guest today is a badass and a half. Not sure what that means, but I guess it's because what she does for a living is badass, and she herself is a badass, totaling to one and a half parts of badassery. I guess that's really two parts badass. I'm not good at math. Anyway, by day, Isabel Fox and Duke helps women stop feeling crazy around food, specifically ladies who are trapped in diet land. And by night, Isabel practices what she preaches, which is intuitive eating, health at every size, and filtering her social media to maintain a positive body image. She also eats a lot of Burmese food, which, in case you don't know, means grub from various reasons of Myanmar. I could have talked with Isabel for hours and hours, which is why this episode is especially long. Because as you'll hear, I really needed my own crash course in diet culture with a side of fat phobia 101. I am so jazzed about the work that Isabel does, and I love more than anything her tell it to him straight, no BS too, dude. Okay, now put on your suspenders and nudge those nerdy glasses up your nose because school is in session. Isabel, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I am so excited to pick your very knowledgeable brain. Yay, me too. I'm super pumped to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I feel like I know you so well because you've been on my friend Katie Dalebout's podcast, what, like three times now? (laughs) Yeah, I think at least three times. I've known Katie for many, many years. She's an alumna of my program and my coaching program. And we're just like good buddies. And um, yeah, like she's, she's awesome. And and we've had some very, various intensive chats. Yes. yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I know you, but I mean, for people who don't know you and you don't know your story of how you've become like the God sent human for women who feel crazy about food. Can you give <laughs> us the lowdown? Yeah. Well, so I help women stop feeling crazy around food and specifically how I mean that. And what I mean by that is I help women who are um, really kind of trapped in diet land. And as a result, right, most people who are like really like aggressively restricting or, you know, constantly trying to lose weight or struggling with poor body image, a lot of times other behaviors will come up as well, right? It kind of becomes like the snowball effect of like, uh, you know, oh my gosh, I shouldn't eat that, but oh my God, I really want to eat that. But okay, but if I eat that, I'm going to need another one. And okay, screw it. I'm just going to have the whole pan, right? And Mm -hmm. this is, it becomes this whole, it's it's really kind of like this anxiety around food, I think that, um, you know, results in all sorts of sort of dysfunctional behaviors, including things like binge eating and emotional eating is certainly um, one that comes up with my clients all the time. And, you know, sort of just this idea of like, okay, I'm going to try to be good today. And then, you know, oh, actually, no, I blew it. I hate myself. Uh, You know, I hate my body, right? Like there's just all these thoughts that are sort of a product of living in a world where thinness is really valued and thinness is, you know, we're constantly being told we should be like thinner and we need to control our size and control our body. And this can really screw with people's food. I mean, unsurprisingly, right? I mean, you don't necessarily need to sort of really struggle deeply with this stuff yourself to kind of see how this could get out of control 
for a lot of people really quickly. I certainly was one of those people. I have like a really extreme story. I, I was like, you know, clinically diagnosed with binge eating disorder at one point. And so what that meant was like my entire life basically revolved around how am I going to lose weight? How am I going to lose weight? How am I going to try and get thinner? How am I, what should I eat? What should I not eat? You know, my whole life revolved around trying to become thinner from a very, very young age. I mean, I was put on my first diet by my pediatrician when I was three, which yeah, also just kind of goes crazy. Yeah. Kind of just goes to show how like screwed up our culture is about this stuff. Why did he do that? What was the reasoning? I was in the 95th percentile of weight for my height. And so it's just like, oh, you're like on the high end. So like right. better watch it, you know, which is ridiculous because like somebody's got to be on the high end. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you think That's about true. it, it's like there's always wow. going to be people on the margins, right? And it's, right. But it's there's this obsession with don't be on the margins, don't be on the margins. You know, you got to conform to this specific ideal. I mean, the, mm. the whole concept of BMI sort of is a denial of the existence of body diversity itself, right? It's like everyone should look the same um, when that's not really true or realistic. And yeah, for whatever reason, I, mean, I was a perfectly healthy baby. I just wow. was 95th percentile in weight for my height. And so my doctor was like, oh, better watch out, you know, better watch her, right? And so my, you know, my mother, of course, also being just a, a human being in our culture is like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Yes. What do I do? You know? And then they put wow. me on a, I was put on a low carb diet when I was, when I was a baby, literally a oh baby. My, my, my mom jokes, she calls it the broccoli and skim milk diet. Like that's like all I was allowed to eat. I mean, she's, she's being hyperbolic, but like she basically tells this joke about how she like, you know, the doctor was like, Oh, oh better watch her weight. And they just cut out a bunch of stuff from my like that was that I was, you know, I was no longer allowed to eat as a kid. And as a result, what ended up happening was that I became like kind of obsessed with food, right? Like yeah. I was always, you know, it was like, oh my God, I'm not supposed to eat that chocolate bar. <gasps> oh my God, I want the chocolate bar, right? right. And I, was just, I remember I got to have one candy bar a week and it would be like, oh my, it would be like the thing that I would look forward yeah. to in my day. I get to have one candy bar, right? And oh again, as as time went on, right? I mean, I think the, the sort of the obsession with food and this feeling of like, I can't, I just want all the things and my hunger is not trustworthy, right? Because if I if it were up to me, I would just eat everything in sight, right? Like, that's just how I felt. You know, starting at three, that's, that's a pretty young age. But like, you know, I hear my clients, some of them will start of like, I was 11 when I went to my first Weight Watchers meeting with my mother. Or like, mm -hmm. I was this age, I was that age. And some, some people, it's like, I was in college and I, you know, gained 10 pounds because I was drinking beer. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to go on a diet to lose it. And they could never get off the diet binge yeah. cycle from there. This is sort of the way the diet binge cycle works. You know, it's like, you get the message, your body's not okay. That's step one, right? You somehow get the message, your body's not good enough the way it is. You go on a diet, right? Maybe you lose like a little bit of weight or you stick to your diet for like a you know short period of time, right? And then most people, 95% of people are going to rebound, right? They're going to regain the weight. They're going to, you know, whether it be just because they're just like, screw it, I can't do this anymore and regain the weight, which is actually the, the ideal scenario. Or like a lot of people will end up kind of falling into binge eating patterns, right? And so that, you know, that can get more and more extreme as time goes on. But so what ends up happening, you go on the diet. You rebound in some capacity, whether, you know, binging or just, you know, quote unquote, falling off the wagon, whatever that looks like for you, you gain weight back or you just feel like, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare. This is so awful that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so bad today. I've eaten so bad. Whatever happens, you feel like shit about yourself. 
And then you're like, oh, well, okay, so tomorrow's day one and I'm really going to stick to it this time. I'm going to start over. And a lot of times it's not even start over. A lot of times it's, okay, I need, I need to restrict more. Mm. Right. And then it's just that, right. And so what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for an even more extreme rebound on the other end. Right. So like, for me, it started with like this low carb stuff when I was a kid or whatever, but it was like at some point I myself, and this was completely on my own. My doctor did not recommend this. My parents did not recommend this. At some point I just felt that I was like, I need to lose weight. What am I going to do? And I was like, oh, I'm going to only this amount of calories. Right. And it was just, it just Mm -hmm. became more and more and more intense on the extreme side. And then of course, for me in particular, at some point, the binge eating, right. The, the rebounds become more extreme. And I think that that's where you really start to see binge eating, right? Like that's sort of where the sort of concept of binge eating disorder comes from. It's really, you know, in my mind, binge eating disorder is just really eating disorder plus binging, right? Plus the rebound. Well, let's define binge eating if you don't mind. Cause I feel like I often say binge eating casually, like with my friends and family, like, I mean, I totally do it a disservice and I'm probably like a bad person for doing it, but like, I'll eat something fast. I'll like Mm -hmm. literally like eat an, uh, like, you're not know. a bad person for eating fast. I, no, no, no. I feel bad <laughs> um, making light of a serious thing because I'll eat like a, right. I don't know, we're like eating hummus and I'll have like four chips in like a minute. And I'm like, whoa, guys, I just binge ate. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I just binge ate. And they're like, shut up. And for right. me, it feels really aggressive and intense because I just shoved like four chips in my mouth in like a minute or, you know, a few seconds. And for me, that's like, Whoa, I just binge ate, like, slow down. What are you doing? You're not even thinking. You're not eating with thought and mindfulness. But I'm sure that's not, like, what binge eating actually is, right? <laughs> well, so binge eating is – so so people have all sorts of different definitions of binge eating, most of which I think are completely unuseful. And, like, it's like, oh, if you eat past this certain amount or if you – I mean, like, the DSM has the most ridiculous – definition of binge eating, which is basically like eating large quantities of food that are more than quote unquote normal eaters eat within like a short period of time. Like it's just, it's like, that's not helpful. Like, what are you talking about? How much what is a normal, a normal eater? eater? Yeah. The, yeah. Like what the, what the fuck are you saying? You know? <laughs> and so, but so, but typically, right. So um, the definition that I've found most useful and that I certainly use in my practice, right? Like binge eating is a reaction to deprivation Right. So it is, I shouldn't eat the, oh my gosh, I shouldn't eat the chocolate. Okay. I'm going to eat now. Screw it. I'm going to eat 10. Mm, Right. Or like I shouldn't, but here's the thing about binge eating. So that's one sort of version of binge eating that comes up a lot with, with my clients or just women who sort of have these sort of diet mentality thoughts. I shouldn't eat chocolate. Screw it. I'm going to eat 10. But what they, cause they're just like, they're sitting on their hands trying not to eat the chocolate and the chocolate's Mm. becoming more and more sort of seductive. The more you sit on your hands, trying not to eat it, right? It's like sitting on your hands, trying not to eat chocolate literally makes you want it 10 times more. Binge eating to some extent at some point is a natural response to hunger, to restriction, to deprivation, to all of these things that dieting can create for women. Binge eating is a natural, healthy response to those things. So so to be clear, binge eating is not a problem in isolation. Mm. Binge eating is a symptom. It's a response to what, in my opinion, is the real problem, which is like sort of extreme restriction around food. I love that. That's really clarifying and helpful. Yes. So again, different than mindless eating, different than emotional eating. Yeah. What's emotional eating? Yeah. Great question. So (laughs) binge eating is a reaction to deprivation, right? It's a rebellion against 
dieting or diet mentality in some capacity. It's the feeling of I shouldn't eat that. Screw it. I'm going to eat 10, Uh right? Like it's that, right? It's the falling off the wagon type Mm -hmm. of eating, right? That's how I define binge eating. And that's how I found the most helpful definition of binge eating for the purpose of actually, you know, changing your relationship with food. Emotional eating is just straight up like, I'm bored, I want a cupcake. It's just like, oh, like, I'm bored, I want a cupcake, or I'm stressed, I want like something pleasurable in my mouth to distract me from my feelings, or, right. you know, any, any reason why you might choose food, which is biologically pleasurable, to kind of soothe yourself, right? To soothe yourself of like whatever discomfort, emotional discomfort that you may be experiencing. Now, here's the thing. One of the reasons why these two words, emotional eating and binge eating, get sort of confused all the time is because they often converge. So what will happen is like somebody will be on a diet and then they'll like something will happen, right? They'll like get anxious. They'll be stressed out at work. And then they'll say, oh, screw it. I'm just going to have the cupcake. So it becomes like a combination. It's like it starts with I want the soothing. But because after they've eaten the cupcake, they feel like they've fallen off the wagon. Now they're also in binge eating territory. Intuitive eating is a great place to start for people who are doing this diet binge cycling thing. Mm -hmm. When you're like perpetually restricting yourself, binge eating for many people is going to be, for the majority of people, like some sort of binging or some sort of rebounding or some sort of falling off the wagon is the majority experience for restrictors. Most restrictors will end up rebounding, like literally like 95%, right? Like the vast majority will end up rebounding. The people who don't are the people who we would put into the category of like restrictive eating disorder, typically, where it's like they're hanging on for dear life, but like their life revolves around food, right? Like in order to hang, like hanging on is a full-time job, right? Right. Gotcha. And so people always say, what's the answer here? And I'm like, well, for starters, stop dieting. And people say, what the hell does that even mean? I've been dieting since I was three. Like when somebody said to me, just stop dieting, I would like laugh. I would be like, what are you talking about? It's all you know. Right. Like if I stopped dieting, I would just literally eat forever like Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka and like just like (laughs) become like a blueberry. Right. Like what do you mean stop dieting? For people who have been dieting for a long time, the concept of not dieting is almost like absurd. Interesting. So I feel like, you know, for a time, a long period of time, dieting was like a real thing people were on, you know, Weight Watchers diet or Atkins diet or South Beach diet. But now are you kind of saying that people could be on quote unquote diets or having the diet mentality without like announcing to the world, I am on Weight Watchers? For sure. I think a lot of people are dieting, but they're calling it like just making healthy choices. But like, come on, let's be real. Like they're creating rules around what they should and should not be eating for the purpose of trying to manipulate their bodies. Like it's the same shit. Well, what is diet culture? I had never heard about this till I heard from you. Diet culture basically just means we live in a culture in which dieting is normal. So for example, one of the reasons it took me so long to figure out that binge eating wasn't actually the beginning of the problem, that like binge eating was a reaction to the dieting, that the dieting was actually part of the problem, right? The reason it took me so long to figure out that I was, I wasn't just binging, I was pendulum swinging back and forth, but I didn't realize that that was what was going on because I just assumed dieting is totally normal and fine. Right. Because like, isn't it fine and normal? Isn't that what just everyone does? Isn't it what you're just supposed to do? You're just supposed to like, if you think you're too fat, you're just supposed to not eat the stuff. <laughs> right. It's just like, that's normal in our culture. Like our culture just deems that normal, right? There are billions and billions of dollars of marketing dollars every day just spent on just trying to convince people that that's normal. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're just trying to convince people that that's healthy. And that like, if you can't do it, there's something wrong with you. Right. Willpower. 
Right. Willpower, right? When in reality, this is not a willpower issue. Eating is a biological instinct. Saying eating is a willpower issue is like saying like fucking, excuse my language, is a willpower. You know, like it's like it's just not. We're animals. We're human animals who need to eat to live and need to eat a certain amount to live and need to get certain macronutrients to live functionally and sustainably, right? So at some point, your instincts, your biological instincts will overwhelm your willpower. Your willpower is rendered useless at a certain point, right? Totally. Right now, we're in a challenging place, which is clean eating, healthy eating, which is what I help people do is seen as a diet. I mean, it, it right. kills me. And I don't, I don't know like how to process my feelings around it because like I'm helping people eat healthier and I'm extraordinarily passionate about it. And that's what I want to do, but I'm not trying to do it as a diet. And there's right. a lot of people on social right. media or in weight loss books in the stores and right. whatever that are eating my way but with your, you know, description of a diet mentality. And that is, that's not it. It's a very different distinction. And I would make the argument they're not even eating your way because in your way, there is room for a handful of fries. Do you know what I mean? Right? Like it's not the rules and regulations. You're in the box or you're out of the box. Like you're on the wagon or you're off the wagon. What I would call that is like, you know, so like I tell my clients, I practice health at every size. Which basically just means like, I'm going to pursue health. I'm going to treat my body well. I'm not going to intentionally, purposely try to squeeze my body, you know, the round peg of my body into a square hole or whatever the thing is, right? Like, I'm just going to treat myself well. I'm going to feed myself well. I'm going to just pursue health. Wherever my body ends up is by definition going to be the healthy size for me. Right. Right. Wherever I end up body wise, when I am making healthful choices is my healthy body. A lot of people, dieters, right? And as far as the way that I'm describing them, they go the other way. They're like, I'm going to pursue making myself have the right body and I'm going to call that healthy. Right. And a lot of people are pursuing the right body in really unhealthy ways, not just mentally, but also physically. I mean, part of my story is that the only way that I could lose weight in the long term, at some point I got so desperate to keep the weight off because I kept like doing diet binging, diet binging. I got so desperate to like actually lose weight that I turned to drugs. Like I literally was snorting cocaine. I was like, oh yeah, I was like full on like addicted to coke because I was just so desperate to lose weight. Man, you on coke would be an absolute insanity. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, this is the thing is it's like people are pursuing weight loss with this vigor. Like I need to do it. I need to do it. And what's upsetting is that they're calling it healthy, but let's be real. That's not their primary motivation. People do all sorts of really unhealthy stuff in the name of pursuing thinness. Totally. Because in many instances, it's not health that they actually care about. That's just the pretty name that they put on like, per- on their pursuit of thinness. What they're actually going after is love, social acceptance, social status, whatever they think thinness is going to give them in society. Well, how did you know when you reached you know, a weight that was appropriate for your unique body? Like, How did you know when you reached... Like, how does weight loss fit into this? I'll tell you exactly. I'll tell you exactly. I got to a point where I was like, I cannot keep doing this. This is unhealthy. This constant pursuit of weight loss is unhealthy. I'm actually going to focus on health directly, listening to my body, taking care of my body, you know, mental health, sanity around food, getting rid of this diet mentality that drives me crazy, right? Like all this, I'm just going to focus on just taking care of myself holistically, mentally, physically, all like really actually pursue like 
recovery from all these like toxic messages. And I'm just going to take care of myself the way I would take care of like a little baby girl, like the way I, the way that I would take care of my little daughter or the way I would take care of my little dog. Right. I would not treat my daughter like, okay, how are we going to get 10 pounds off of you this month? I'd be like, Hey baby girl, what do you need? How are you feeling? You don't feel well. Okay. What do you need? Okay. Well, we want to make sure that you're getting enough food. We're going to treat you well. Right. That's how I was like, I'm going to treat myself the way I would treat my little baby daughter. I'm not going to treat myself like some ornament that is just like not good for nothing but the way she looks. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to actually treat myself like a human being. Nice. Right? Feed myself. What a concept. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to actually, as a, rather than like a piece of meat, I'm going to actually treat myself like a human being, feed myself good foods, make sure I get enough food, make sure I'm eating food you know, that makes me feel good, listen to my body, drink water, get sleep, like just basic, basic self-care, treat myself the way I would treat my little baby daughter, right? And then as I did that, and I said, and wherever my weight falls is wherever my weight falls. You know right. what I mean? Like when I'm doing that, wherever my weight falls, I don't care. My weight is not my business anymore. Like my obsession with that took me on a real roller coaster ride that ruined years of my life, right? Yeah. Wherever my weight falls, I'm just going to focus on actual health. Wherever my weight falls is where my body's supposed to be. Wherever my weight falls. It's like falls a trust fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Health at every side, right? I'm going to pursue health, how I define it, mental, physical, holistic, right? And wherever my weight ends up, when I'm doing that is where my weight ends up, right? Wherever my body is along the way is where my body's supposed to be that day. And what ended up happening was this was a couple of years of a process, right? It was like, you know, really pursuing weight neutral health, right? Like the Ooh, pursuit like of it. health, cool. right? The pursuit of health um, outside of this, like you just trying to make your body look the way the society tells you it should look, right? And what ended up happening was like at some point after a couple of years, like, you know, I, my weight fluctuated because I was, I mean, I, my weight was all over the place for so many years. And so like there was like a, you know, period of adjustment. My body's like trying to figure out my weight's like fluctuating. But then like after a couple of years, my weight just stopped changing. Mm. I just became a weight, you know, and <laughs> it it's just like, hung out. You just, I'm just a weight now. Yeah. Like gotcha. this is just like clearly like the size that I'm supposed to be. Like I don't do anything to make myself be the size that I am. I just treat myself well without worrying about my weight. And over time, what ended up happening is I just was treating myself well, just treating myself like I would treat my little baby daughter. Right. Like, you know, there were weight fluctuations at first. Cause I was like, you know, yeah. like my weight was all over the place back in the day. And then it just sort of, I just at some point just kind of settled into a body. And so there's actually, right. And it was just like, and and this is how normal leaders, right. Normal leaders in quotes, they're not trying, they're not waking up every day being like, how do I stay this size? Right. They just are eating. They're just doing their thing. They're just doing their animal instinct thing. (laughs) And they just are their size, right. They're genetically designed to be wherever they are, right. Some people are bigger, some people are smaller, some people are shorter, some people are taller, right. Like there is, it's, it's called weight set point, which you may have heard me talk about on some interviews, but basically there is this idea that, right. When you think about a normal leader, you know, they're not trying to be their size. They just are doing their animal instinct thing, taking care of themselves, listening to their bodies, which they probably barely even think about. You know, sometimes they eat when they're hungry, sometimes not. Sometimes they have fries occasionally, sometimes not, right? But they're just generally just kind of doing their animal instinct thing and they just are a size, right? Like your weight is actually designed to regulate itself in the absence of extremes, in the absence of like major league interference. That's, that makes so much sense. Pardon me for a sec, but have you met Ned? 
I love you if you've got that reference. And I love Ned. But Jesse needn't worry because Ned isn't a secret second husband. He's premium small batch hemp products that go from seeds in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado to bottle that you can use wherever the heck you live. I'm talking bottles of hemp oil, hemp body butter, and even hemp chapstick that my effed up East Coast winter lips are hella thankful for right now. Before you ask, why doesn't Ned just call its products CBD? I'll answer. Because of FDA regulations, only pharmaceutical companies can use the term CBD. So Ned's sticking to the rules by saying that their products are made from full-spectrum hemp. But between you and me... We're talking CBD here, friend. Ned's organic, non-GMO, small batch products won't get you high. Sorry? But they will help as a sleep aid. They'll provide anti-inflammatory powers. They'll serve as a natural pain reliever. Been rubbing that body butter on my always sore feet, and they say thanks, Ned. It'll help with anxiety. Yes, please, and thank you. And provide you with antioxidants on fleek. I am admittedly a CBD noob, but you gotta believe this noob when she says that her experience with Ned's CBD is it works like ABC. Easy as one, two, three. Simple as do, re, me. And it really did help me with tons of anxiety that I was feeling as I was finishing my book, which I just did. Yay! Okay, you knew this was coming. You can save 15% on all your Ned needs and desires if you head to helloned.com slash plants or use code plants at checkout on helloned.com. That's helloned.com slash party to save 15% on our buddy old pal Ned's full spectrum hemp oils that won't get you high, but will nourish your body's endocannabinoid, fancy pants, system, which helps bring balance to your mind and your body. Thanks, Ned. See you at helloned.com slash party. And now back to our episode. When you say normal eater just doing their animal thing, is that eating intuitively to go back to that? Like what? I mean, there's a lot of, that's a buzzword right now. Intuitive eating, intuitive yes. eating. I eat intuitive. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. what is that? So intuitive this is a really good question. So I actually make a distinction between quote intuitive eating and quote normal eating. Okay. So intuitive eating, they're very, I mean, they're similar and I talk about them both and they're both like important concepts to understand, but I'll share the distinction. So intuitive eating, it's the intentional practice of listening to your body's biological signals. So signals meaning on a basic level, things like hunger, things like fullness. You know, dieters wake up and they're like, it's 8 a.m. Dr. Oz told me to go have a cup of acai berries. But like an intuitive eater will be like, hmm, like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. Like maybe like 8.15. Oh, I'm going a little hungry. I'm going to have some whatever I want that makes me feel good right now that I'm in the mood for. Right? Like it's like you're listening to your actual biological instincts around food rather than trying to follow the dictates of some external diet that's been opposed upon you. Most people do not stick to external diets that have been opposed upon them very long. One of the things I like about your approach specifically to health, right? Because I was like, you know, looking at your website before we chatted, and it seems like there's much more of an emphasis on like, how do you insert vegetables rather yes. than like, how do you take out the bad, the yeah, quote unquote bad thing? Bad. Right? Exactly. And that's the thing is like, 
you know, there's a ton of evidence to suggest that people actually have much better health outcomes when they focus on like, what things can I do? What things can I be excited about doing to like insert healthy behaviors? Like, can I insert broccoli into my macaroni and cheese, right? Like it still counts as broccoli if it's in your macaroni and cheese, interestingly (laughs) enough. Right. That's so funny. A hundred years ago, you know, health was about inserting stuff more frequently. It was about making sure that you got enough, whatever, you know, protein, enough chicken soup and not whatever the thing was like, oh, eat this health inducing thing. Yes. Right. And now it's like diet culture for the most part is all about how do you quit sugar? How do you quit this? How do you take out that? Don't eat this. Don't, don't eat, eat that. Grains, right? And it's don't like, eat this, right. Yeah. And it's like, that is, it's a, dis- it's restriction. It's, it's, a it's a diet. Yeah. Right. And it does not work for most people. And it shouldn't. I mean, it's a terrible way to live. Unfortunately, my fiance's mother passed away this past summer from cancer. And, you know, as she was on her deathbed, like she was not thinking about dieting. She was not caring about extra pounds. She wasn't like, you know, but all those moments that she had spent in her short life worrying about the shit she couldn't eat. It's just wasted moments, you know, where she was like, oh, I can't eat this cake. I can only have like, she would like ration out like eight almonds as a snack. And it's like, you know, when at the end of the day we die and all that shit doesn't matter and it's a waste of time and it makes me so frustrated that people waste Mm -hmm. their time and energy and happiness on stupid shit like that right i mean preach it girl you're preaching the choir (laughs) i mean i i mean yeah totally okay what's normal eating it's like you know intuitive eating is literally it's a tool like when you're transitioning from living someone else's rules to listening to your own body's rules you you still have to tell yourself okay okay i know i'm used to eating at 8 a.m but let's focus on my body right now. It's kind of like a middle ground. Even it's just more like, okay, I don't want to diet anymore. So how am I going to make decisions around what I'm going to eat? Right? Like we all are making decisions about what and when we eat and how much we eat and all the things, right? Like that's, we're all making those decisions all day long. If I'm not dieting, if I'm not making those decisions based on what Dr. Oz told me to eat, how am I going to make them? And so what intuitive eating is the, is sort of the intentional practice of like, I'm going to, see how it feels to make decisions about what to eat based on things like how my body's feeling. How hungry am I? How full am I? Right? Like basics, right? Like, yeah. like mind blown. Like this is so, babies do this naturally. That's the thing that just My dog does it naturally. Time. Your dog does it naturally. I love right? when he passes up food. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're ama- Like, wow. Like, you know, right. he's just like, he goes over, he sniffs his bowl and he's like, nah, not feeling right. it right now. Not in the mood. I'm like, Go you, right. Tommy. Go you. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, this is not brain science. It's basically just you've been ignoring a critical natural biological process. And many of you are experiencing dysfunction as a result, right? Many of you are just like freaking out and binging. And like, you know what I mean? Like so many people, you know, for most people, they're not capable of like when you screw with your biological instincts, things are going to go haywire <laughs> typically. Right. So intuitive eating is just like, it's in my opinion, the way that I teach it and people teach it all sorts of different ways. The way that I teach it is it is a, it's just like a, it's a sort of an education. It's like a, it's a process of getting to know your body's signals. So which will ultimately influence how you make decisions around food. Now, at the end of the day, and this is where the distinction between intuitive eating and quote normal eating, Mm -hmm. some one of the traps that people fall into when they're, um, 
pursuing intuitive eating. Like, so like somebody who's really struggling with diet mentality and feeling really crazy around food and they're like, Oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to do intuitive eating. And then they try intuitive eating and they can easily turn intuitive eating into a set of goals. Like I'm going to only eat when I'm hungry and I'm going to stop when I'm full. I'm never going to eat emotionally. I'm never, I'm never going to like have a cupcake, you know, and like the, it, it can go there for some people. Right. Which is why, you know, that was when I actually started my blog was because I was intuitive eating was kind of a thing and I was like getting really into it. And, 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 but everyone was just talking about eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full and listen to your body and listen to the body. And then like what would happen is I was trying to do this perfectly. Right. right. And so, and I would, you know, Oh God, you know what? I'm just really sad. I just want a bowl of ice cream. When that would happen to me, when I would have moments that for whatever reason, I wasn't listening to my body perfectly, or I wasn't doing the, the biological, like the thing that my body wanted according to this hunger and fullness. When I felt like I was failing at intuitive eating or doing it wrong, I would binge because I would be off the wagon, right? I'd be like, now I'm now off you're, the wagon. Now I'm off the intuitive eating wagon. Exactly. Damn exactly. the wagon. And so this was <laughs> one of my first blog posts that I ever wrote that got a lot of traction that like in my mind is sort of where like my career really began. And this was like probably seven years ago, something like that. But like was when I was when I wrote this article, I remember I was like, hey, guys, I'm pursuing intuitive eating. And like, I'm noticing that I'm turning it effectively into a diet. And like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, it has to be okay, if we decide to eat something that isn't great for our bodies, right? Like that has to be okay, right? Like it has to be because if it's not okay, right, if it's like, oh my God, now I'm off the wet, right? I'm just doing the same. I was just doing the same thing that I used to do with traditional diets with intuitive eating. It was better, right? Like I wasn't actively denying my hunger. I wasn't actively starving myself. You know, it was much, much better, but I still was approaching intuitive eating with a lot of that same diet thinking, that same diet mentality. And that's a great definition of diet mentality is, right? It's like you could be pursuing intuitive eating. You could be pursuing listening to your body, but if you're doing it with this like on and off the wagon, I got to get it right. I got to do it perfectly. Right. If you're doing it with that diet mentality, you're going to end up having a lot of the same results in quotes, right? You're going to end up Right. Well, so, it's the same um, with healthy eating. You know, again, yeah. I will reiterate this that, you know, my definition of healthy eating is eating to nourish your body and, and make yourself help yourself feel the best you possibly can. And that's not about restriction. There's no wagon involved with that. Right, right, right. And it's like sometimes I'm going to have a handful of fries and that's fine. You know, that's totally. just what that is. You know, sometimes you might just have like a meal that's just like fully just for pleasure, right? I mean, everyone's everyone's handful of fries is different, right? Like everyone's like, you know, shit happens. Yeah, I was in Mexico last week. It was shots of tequila and churros and, right, uh, right. you know, guac and chips like for a week. But whatever. Right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Like sometimes like your food's just going to be messy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like so that's is that just the reality eating? of living. Yes. So that's my definition of normal eating is like normal eating is I feel like the progression often for people is they pursue intuitive eating, they're getting to know their bodies. But for me, normal eating really is an emotional state where it's like, it's really the relinquishing of not just dieting in a physical sense, but also diet mentality. It's the thinking like a non-dieter thinking like a quote unquote normal eater, right? Realizing that like, you know, if I want some ice cream because like I'm sad about my breakup, it's not the end of the world, right? Like it might not be the healthiest thing in that moment. It might not be like the best thing that I could do for my body, but like if, if it happens, like shit happens, like it's okay moving on. So normal eating essentially is just wagonless eating. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> yes. Which, which I would call dietless eating. Yes. 
Well, that comes back to, you know, the whole fat phobia diet culture thing, how people feel like they fail, I guess, because they want their bodies to look a certain way and that when they eat the cupcake or the French fries or whatever, they're like, oh, crap, I'm farther away from that perfect body that I believe will bring me all the happiness in the world. Right. People are terrified of food because people are terrified of fat in our culture. Looking. Right. And yeah, looking. Fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fat. Yeah. Just like the concept, right? Like the general concept of fatness, right? right. Like whatever that means, right? Like people are just terrified of, of fatness in, in our society and in our culture. And this is huge, huge problem. I don't know if you saw, probably not as like, so like in my, my like little body positive world. Um, but like France and Paris, they actually just like launched a big campaign to like educate people about weight discrimination in the workplace and, and elsewhere, but in the workplace, because people, you know, they were like, this is not okay. It is not okay to discriminate people against people. It's not okay to have prejudice against people on the basis of size, which our culture does so regularly that they don't even notice that it's happening. I was literally just going to say, I didn't know that was a thing that happens. Right. But like, think about it rationally, right? Do fat people get treated? Do plus size people get treated differently than thin people? Do they? Do that. Be real. Just be real. I'm just trying to think in my day-to-day life how I see that happening. I'm not denying it. I'm just... Think about just like when you were in high school, like who got all the attention. Well, that's... Do you know what I'm saying? It's very... It's very... But it's not different. It's really not different. This is why people are obsessed with food and like struggle with disordered eating, right? Like disordered eating would not exist nearly in the way that it currently exists without like living in a massively weight discriminating fat phobic world where thinness is a form of social status. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm thinking now, you know, as you're saying that I think about movies and why, how the fat person is always the gross person or the loser person or the lame, you know, dork person or the undesirable person that you do not want to be like. Right. Or even more simply, like you may not have like a disordered eating background, but like you have said, at one point I went on a diet to try to lose weight, right? Like, why did you do that? That's really interesting. So I was with Katie Dale about actually this summer and I was in shorts and I was like, damn, like, I just wish I could just tone up my legs a little bit, just a little, like cut out some of the cellulite, the fat, the, the. and she was like, cause you taught her so well. She was right. like, why, why right. do you want that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just think it would look better. She's like, but why do you think that looks better? Who gave you the idea that that would look better? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I think it'll look better. And I thought about it later. I've thought about it a lot since, honestly, because I'm so confident that that'll look better. But that's an idea that someone gave me, that society (laughs) gave me, that legs look better with less fat and without cellulite. Like, that's not an idea that, like, I I guess I was born with. I guess I learned it. And I was like, this has, like, rocked my world since that conversation. (laughs) Because then I went to my fiance and I was like, Jesse, like, if cellulite and, like, all that was normal, like, do you think that I would feel insecure in a bathing suit? And he's like, probably not. And I'm right. like, that's crazy. Like, yeah. I feel like I've been brainwashed. You have But, been, like, I didn't even notice it until Katie was like, why do you want your legs to look thinner? I'm like, because obviously they'll look better thinner. And she's like, but why do you think that? I don't know. Right. It's really right. a freaky experience. Well, no. I mean, again, to your point, right, it's so normalized. I mean, think about it this way. Like, 100 years ago, it was like, what do you mean women should be able to vote? 
Like women right. are just not as capable. Like that. Like that's how it was it, just so me, normal. Like, that's how, it was just you so didn't question normal. it. That's how people thought. Like right. it was just like like so. I was talking to a friend of mine. He was pointing out to me that like sports bra, the first sports bra was designed in like the 30s or 40s. Like there was just no sports bras. Like women just were expected to not run, and their boobs were actually just. It was just like, well, of course they're not supposed to run. Like God gave them these boobs, like to make it uncomfortable to run. So like clearly women aren't like supposed to run. Like that was just how people thought. Yeah. Well, that's where we're at now. That's absolutely where we're at now. And I had no idea that that's why I think the things I think, you know, I, like I said, I just came back from Mexico and I was in a bathing suit and I mean, I'm very confident person in clothes. I'm chilling. No problem. But you put me in a bathing suit and I lose my freaking mind. I become (laughs) the most self-conscious person on the beach. And I guess now that's because of all the images that I've seen of women in bathing suits, especially now that Instagram is like the biggest thing in the world. And everyone's just posting their bathing suit pics. And I'm like, you know, I think if I, obviously if we, if I'd never seen those pictures, Mm -hmm. I would never know anything was quote unquote wrong. No, you wouldn't. And actually, this is what one of my favorite things about the body positive movement is like, go follow some plus size models on Instagram, which coincidentally means any model over a size four. (laughs) Right. Right. And like, literally, literally. I thought plus size, like, you would think that like actual plus size would mean, like, what does that, what does that mean? I thought it meant like double digits. Yeah. Yeah. Plus size in clothing, like when you're talking about like purchasing clothing, typically means like above like 14 and up. Like, I mean, it depends. Like some people like started, you know, as low, you know, you typically like 14, 16 and up, right? Like that's typically what we think of. That's how like fashion companies delineate, like, like so many fashion companies just don't make clothes beyond a size 14, despite the fact that literally a third of the country, more than that, maybe I think half the country is oversized 14 at this point, right? Like, and it's like, again, like we're not talking about health. We're talking about people having access to clothes. You know what I mean? Like this is not right. And so this is, so yeah, plus size, I think typically when you're talking about like institutional, like access to things like clothing, um, typically means like 14, 16 and up. But for models, if you're a model in the media, like straight sizes means zero two four double zero zero two sometimes wow. and that's it and anything outside of that is like you're an alternative body model now oh you God. know like literally like that's what's up right like basically that's the sort of like irony but anyway so there's this whole movement happening on instagram of people who are alternative size models which literally just means not double zero to four wow. like six and up right who are like i'm gonna actually like do modeling and I'm going to, you know, show pictures of myself on Instagram, like looking hot, wearing cool clothes, done up, good photographers, the whole thing. Um, and it's amazing because it actually really does start to change your brain to look at different images. They've done so many studies. Like it, it actually changes the way you think about bodies to see body diversity in the media. Like lack of body... Yeah. Lack of body. It sounds like a, like almost like cheesy, like, well, yeah, I know I'm being brainwashed by the media, but like, whatever. But like, it's really, really real. Like, it's so real that like my clients built for a month, they'll all just be like, get rid of all everything in your Instagram, create a new account if you want and only follow plus size models and look at it five to 10 minutes a day. And within a month, their body image is like radically changed. Wow. I was just thinking that as you were talking, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go follow a whole bunch and see if my body image changes. And then you just yes, proved that it you would. Should. 
That's yes, awesome. Yes, you so, absolutely should. Well, then I was going to ask you, you know, I mean, and I know we should wrap up. I could probably talk to you for like three days straight. But um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, how do you, you know, work to improve body image? But I guess that's a great first step. That's a great one. That's a really easy, actionable one, which is why I like to talk about it because it's literally just like an exercise where if you do it enough, it will have an impact on the way you think. Like it is like scientifically proven way to change the way you think about bodies. And so just stare at bodies (laughs) that are your size or bigger for like extended periods of time for like, for just for, for a while, you know, like, That's for fascinating. like, you know, it's just, and the more you do it, the more regular it becomes. Like I still look at images all the time because it just keeps you going. It just keeps you pushing forward. And also it helps protect against the fact that, you know, you're also still being brainwashed every day by the zero twos and four. Right. And, right. and again, there's nothing wrong with being zero two or four, zero two and four is a great body size. It's just when you only see zero two and four, when zero two and four are the only thing things that are deemed valid or acceptable, that's when you have a problem because totally. 95% of people do not fall into that, right? Like a, 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 I was like watching this documentary and said, there's nothing wrong with tall, thin, white models. The problem is we only see tall, thin, white yes. models, which makes everyone else feel like shit. Yeah, right? It makes everyone else feel like awful about themselves, right? Makes everyone else feel like what's wrong with me that I don't fit this, right? What's wrong with yeah. me? I don't see representations of bodies that look anything like mine in the media, right? And so, you know, that's definitely a great actionable step, but also, you know, just educating yourself and just like sort of starting to notice your own fat phobia, right? So like, again, mm-hmm. so what we're talking about is, you know, just like it was so normal, like, what do you mean? Like, women, like, of course they can't run. They have those big boobs in the way, like they can't run, you know, like that is today. We would just be like, that's sexism. (laughs) Like, but back then it was so normal. Right now we're in a situation where like people are thinking fat phobic things all the time. People are constantly effectively validating thinness as the better body to have. And like stereotyping or judging or prejudicing on fat bodies, right? Making judgments, you know, about people on the basis of size that I think are so subtle that a lot of people don't even realize they're doing it. But it's just like you are clearly doing it because if you are going on a – if anyone ever has the thought, like, I wish I were thinner, like, immediately, right? Like, ask yourself right there, why? Well, that's like what Katie did. Yeah. This whole conversation about dieting is often what's setting people up for a lot of dysfunctional eating patterns. Um, Of course, there are exceptions. Of course, like, you know – if my like grandfather like has diabetes, he might need to make some changes to his diet, you know, but like, or to the way that he's eating, right. He might need to be more conscious of balancing his blood sugar or whatever. But we, I think that we need to also just be conscious of like, you know, kind of like stereotyping people as like, you know, Oh, those people just eat McDonald's all day. It's like, first of all, who are those people? Like, let's talk about why that's happening. Cause it's probably not just some people are lazy, right? Like right. that's probably not what's happening. Absolutely. Well, on the topic of McDonald's. Yes. Do you have a favorite plant party restaurant that you love to go to? <laughs> um, a favorite plant party restaurant. Um, do, 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 favorite plant party group. Uh, I love plant party restaurant. Let's see. Just like where so you can get good in plants. New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, well, like I eat a ton of Asian food in, in San Francisco and I would say, and I eat a ton of Burmese food specifically. And Burmese food is really interesting because it's like, there's just a lot of fresh 
vegetables, like a lot of like uncooked raw vegetables even. Like I don't know if you've ever had a tea leaf salad. No. It is literally the craziest thing I've ever eaten. It is the best thing. I'm like, oh my God, this is how I'm going to eat. I am not a big um, cold vegetables person. Like I typically prefer my vegetables warm and cooked. Like I like warm foods. I like warm things. Uh-huh. I'm not a person who will typically order a salad, a cold salad at a restaurant. Um, because it's just, that's just not my preference, you know, like you like, I like your little thing on your website. Like I want my, 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 my vegetables to taste as good as bacon. I want to be warm yeah. and delicious and stewed and stuff like that. Um, but there is, if you ever get a chance to eat Burmese food, get the tea leaf salad. It is like the only, it is like, I like dream about this salad. It is so good. It's like fermented tea. It's just very, very, um, it's super nutty. There's lots of nutty. It's really satisfying. It's got all sorts of like good fats in it. Um, and it's just super like, it has this like fermented tea leaves that are just really like amazing. It's just incredible flavor. And it's, um, uh, I don't want to like misrepresent it or anything, but that the second you said like, where do you eat your most plants? I'm like, I'm trying to think of like a name of a vegan restaurant, but the truth is I don't typically eat at vegan restaurants. I typically, I eat a lot of Asian food. I eat a lot of Burmese food. I eat tons of like spring rolls with tofu and veggies. I eat tons of, uh, you know, just stewed stuff as I mentioned before, like that's my jam. Like I'm with you all about that. We went to Thailand last year and the food was off the hook. Like Thai Asian food like that, like the stew, like you said, with the curries and all that, the spring rolls, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all about that. And my boyfriend's a pretty good cook and he always cooks like we always, I mean, we're very big on like, you know, the very traditional, like you kind of got like your meat, your carb, your veg, you know, like mm-hmm. that's sort of like how we do like we'd steak, mashed potatoes, asparagus, you know, mm-hmm. like that's sort of, that's how I, that's how we typically eat in my house. Um, that's how my boyfriend cooks. So what's your favorite plant to eat? My favorite plant to eat, um, well, I actually, and I will also say I eat a lot of fruit. Like I actually would probably, my favorite things are fruit more than vegetables. My favorite vegetable to eat would probably be Romanesco. Okay. But which it is my new obsession. Fruit. What's your favorite fruit? But yeah, my favorite fruit is, oh my God, I have so many. I eat a lot of fruit. I probably eat like three or four pieces of fruit a day. Um, I eat, yeah, no, I eat so much fruit. That's that's my jam. I go to the farmer's market every Sunday and I just buy whatever's in season. Right now in California, what's in season is citrus. So I have like a bunch of pomelos on my, um, on my, yeah, I'm like all about the fancy fruit. That's funny. (laughs) I'm about like the basic fruit at green apples, bananas, berries. Oh really? Those are my jams. I do like berries with whipped cream on them, but I like to just eat as a snack. Right now, what's in season in California is citrus. So I have pomelos and I have right now, I also have clementines. Yeah. Um, but then like other times of, I definitely, I always, I buy, I, I have farmer's market, like a block outside my apartment. So every Sunday sweet. I'll just like go and buy stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, um, yeah, I would say that that's. There you go. You know, there's very few fruits I don't like. Banana is probably my least favorite. Oh, but there's very few there's very few. I like bananas with peanut butter. Yeah. But but not as much straight. Yeah. Um, All right. What's um, a book that's really inspired you in some awesome way? Ooh. <laughs> Woo. Well, I probably have said this before on podcasts, but my favorite, I literally have a copy of this book called When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron, who's a Tibetan Buddhist nun who kind of changed my life and saved me. I have a copy of that book in my purse pretty much at all times. Wow. Like it's in my laptop bag and it's like, I have like a laptop bag that I take to my office when I'm going to work at the office. And it's like, 
just straight up like that book is just sits in there at all times just in case I need it. Oh, oh, <laughs> I love that. So that's my that's my like personal favorite like just Bible, if you will, yeah. um, is when things fall apart by Pema Chodron. And so I guess that would, that's probably what I would yeah, say. Yeah, I think that's it. So, okay. Thank you so much for giving us all your time and your passion. I mean, I've never met a more passionate person really about what they do <sighs> and what they teach. You are just reeking of passion and it's amazing. I think you're helping so many people. You're helping change my perspective. It's really the work you do is incredible. So where can people go to to learn more about how they can start feeling less crazy about food? I mean, I know your newsletters are thebomb.com. Is that a good starting place? Yeah, for sure. Well, so I have a like a little free video introduction to my work. But it's my free video training series. It's at stop. It's called stopfightingfood.com. So stop, stop fighting fight, food. Yeah, stopfightingfood.com. And that is like where eighty percent of my readers, because I I definitely I do send the bomb emails. I mean, you do. Um, and, but eighty um, percent of my email readers find me through stopfightingfood.com. They watch the video training series first because it's just like a really good intro really good introduction to like this whole stuff. So that's what what I would recommend for people first is check out the video trading series. And then just like, you know, you'll get emails from me that I'll just, you know, my emails are a little different. They're, they're, they're basically just blog posts, right? So it's not, I very, it's rarely sending like sales emails or things like that. Like it's almost exclusively just like, here's my latest like thought about this stuff. You might be interested. Um, That's awesome. So yeah. And so, um, yeah. So that's how I communicate with people. I don't really use social media. So if you want to know about my brain and what I help people with and, you know, kind of my perspective and all this stuff we've been talking about today, definitely check out stopfightingfood.com, check out the vid series, or you can also just go to my website and um, read my blog, sign up for emails. Emails basically just means you'll get new blogs. You know, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so stinking much. My pleasure. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I hope you're just feeling good. You know, I hope you are feeling good. I know this food and body image stuff is a little cray. And by little cray, I mean extremely cray. But the thing is that we all have a body and so we all have feelings about it. I don't think that part's cray, and I don't think the goal should ever be to not have feelings about your body or to eat some chocolate when you're bummed or are just craving it. I think where the food cray becomes too cray is when you restrict your food and thus hinder your social life and screw with your happiness. The truth is, there's a healthier alternative for every single thing you want to eat. And my website, an upcoming book, has lots of those recipes, as well as thousands more websites and books and everything out there. So restriction should never be something that you participate in, even if you want to have your cake and eat it feeling good in your jeans, too. For recipes, a recap of this chat with Isabel, more deets about how to reach Isabel, and more stuff from me that takes the hell out of being healthy, hit up partyinmyplants.com slash 133.